Hi, good morning. For those of you who uh, don't know me, my name is Al. I'm one of the elders at Gateway um, and got the privilege of leading our other site in the east. So if, you've been, if you're new here in the last, say, six to eight weeks, you may not have um, seen uh, me or my wife Sarah. We head up the site over in the east and I, I bring you greetings from there. We are having a blast. We're having a great time. God is really faithful with us. And I was just thinking all this week, what a privilege it is to be connected to the body of Christ, not just us over in our corner in the east doing our own thing, but knowing that we're together on this mission that God has put us on. And actually, it's a blessing to know that 10 months ago, we were sent from this place to go and multiply out into the east and knowing that we are together on this mission. And genuinely, I consider it a privilege. Some of you I know very well. Some of you I don't know. Some of you I hope to get the privilege of getting to know. But it's a wonderful thing that God has done is actually joined our hearts together we've not kind of said okay off you go it's a sense of we're we're one church we're one heart we're one people just in different places expressing the same heart on the same mission that God has got us on so it really is a privilege to be here with you uh, this morning it's great just to be able to come and meet some of you for the first time come and see familiar faces who I don't get to see very much and I think that is one of the costs isn't it of multiplying out there are people that you've walked and journeyed with for I've been in Gateway for 10 years now, there's people that I've walked and journeyed with over that time. I don't get to see every week and say, hey, I love you, but I thank you that we're together in this thing, even if we don't see you face to face week after week. So thank you for your prayers, for your encouragement, for emails that you send through, just encouraging us in whatever way that is. Um, It really is great to be um, together. The challenge of going last up is you've got to finish on time, so otherwise I'll get it in the grief from the kids' workers and from you guys. And as the elder who oversees kids, I don't want that at all. So I'll be rapid and I'll skip bits that I think we need to. So um, if you've been here over the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been um, preaching, uh, starting our preaching series on Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7, more commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we're, really, we're going to camp here for uh, sort of six months or so till kind of February next year. Really, the Sermon on the Mount is describing what does life look like for those who are participating in God's kingdom? What does life look like for those who say, I am now um, living under the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ? And so the, the, it's writing really for those who have responded to the invitation of Jesus. But it's equally valid to those who are looking in and saying, if you're here this morning and you're looking on in faith and you're saying, hey, I don't know if I, I believe this. Actually, what, what the Sermon on the Mount helps us to do is say, this is what it looks like when we respond to the invitation of Jesus. And it also helps us to realize as we look through the narrative this morning that many people think that Christianity is a primarily a moral religion about rules and regulations. And actually what the Sermon on the Mount helps us to understand is that Jesus wants to change us from the inside out. He wants to transform our hearts. That's one of the primary threads and themes through the Sermon on the Mount. And so far over the few weeks we've looked at um, Matthew 5, 1 to 13, which has kind of been about the Beatitudes, about the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. And then, and then we looked at salt and light. And then last week, Colin here was looking at what does it look like to have surpassing righteousness through Jesus Christ. And this week, Colin's over in the east, and I'm here, and so we're swapping over. So we're going to be camping in the next section of this uh, passage for the rest of Matthew 5, which is a long narrative that Jesus talks about, about what does it look like again to live under my reign and my rule. But before we get into that, what I want to do is I just want to take a fly through one of the key themes of the next section of Matthew, but also really, indeed, one of the key themes of the Gospels themselves, which is this. There's a difference between having a religious mindset 
and gospel transformation of your heart. That's one of the threads that runs right through the rest of Matthew 5, but runs right through the gospel narrative. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read through Matthew 5, 17 to 48, which is the, the next leg that we're going to be going on. We're not going to be camping in any particular bits of it. We're going to be preaching through those bits. But I just want you to understand the thread of where we're going, understand the, where we're camping over this next few weeks. So Matthew 5, 17 to 48. Jesus speaking here, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and of the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we get into these then these six mini sections and Jesus starts off every single one with this repeating pattern. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka or insults is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of heaven. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to the court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you are paid the last penny. Then we're into the second of these repeating sections. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife, this is the third mini-section, must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Here's the fourth one. Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Here's the fifth one. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And here's the last one, the sixth one of this repeating section. You have heard it, it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? 
Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. A guy who leads a big church in the States called Tim Keller says, when you get to the end of this section, you're like a mass of smoking wreckage. Which I think is a brilliant expression. And if, you haven't, if you're not like that, you probably haven't heard it in the way that Jesus meant it. It's staggering. No teacher has ever demanded this kind of righteousness. No teacher has ever said this. Every other religion, every other teacher, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam says, follow the law and you get accepted. Jesus says, I want inside-out transformation that results and leads to obedience to me. And do you know what? It's beautiful and life-giving and joyful when you learn that obedience to God isn't something you have to do to earn his favor, but something you do from his favor and from his acceptance and from his love. It is freeing and wonderful. And it brings genuine life and joy. So what's the big idea here? Hearts transformed by the gospel vastly outstrips religiosity and religious obedience. The gospel produces something in us that religion never could, which is a heart that desires God. Let me just say that again. The gospel produces in us something that the law or or religion never could do, which is a heart that desires God. And you know what? This isn't a cheap gospel. I hope you see that. When you read through Matthew 5, it's not cheap. It's costly. It looks like radical obedience, but it looks like radical obedience out of an understanding of the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done for you and a heart that is for him that results and leads to obedience and a completely transformed and upside down, inside out life. Do you see in these repeating patterns that Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I tell you, Six times he does these things with six different areas of kingdom living. You've heard it said something. What he's saying here is people have made the law about simple obedience to a rule and a regulation. You've heard it said, do not murder. Phew, today I haven't murdered. Yay, I've filled the law. And Jesus says, that's not what the law is about. The law is about your heart. I tell you the law is about your heart. That's what Jesus is doing. He says, you Pharisees, you religious teachers have made the law and made it about religious obedience and religious rules and regulations. But I tell you, let your heart be transformed and let your heart be changed. Knowing that that produces fruitfulness and life. Jesus brings the truest and deepest intentions of the law to hand when he says it's not about following a rule or a regulation. It's about your heart being towards me about your heart being utterly on fire for me, that actually everything in your heart wants to live in the way that I've called you to live, not because of some rule, but because you love me. And out of that love will flow obedience and radical, transformed living and transformed life. And as I was thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, um, Deb Donahoe just dropped us an email as elders uh, Monday last week, just as I started thinking and preparing for this. And it really struck a chord with what I was living with um, for today. So I just said to Deb, she came and shared it last week in the, in the East. And I just, Deb, can you come up and just share what you, you, you sent to us? Because it was so profound and so in line with what God is doing with us at the moment. So do you want to use that, that mic there? You can, wherever you're comfortable. So... Um... 
This is what I sent to the elders on the 2nd of October. Um, Over the last few weeks before that, during the worship, I just had a strong sense that there were walls up around people preventing them from truly worshipping and moving forward. And it just felt as if there needed to be like a blast of noise or something that would almost shatter those walls. Um, Clive brought a lovely poem um, and then we sang, which seemed to bring us some way through this. And then Paul Dixon brought a word about worship and encouraging us to worship um, if we truly knew God. But there was this just sense, just a sense in my heart that these walls needed to come down. And it was really very heavy on my heart. So I actually went home and in the evening I was praying and I asked God what these walls resembled. And he said there are barriers around the hearts of men and women and to release the word that he gave me in March 2015 about heart transplants. Um, Interestingly, the morning I was writing this to the elders, my reading was from Zechariah, and particularly verses 9 to 12 stood out to me. Thus the Lord of hosts has spoken, execute true judgment and show mercy and kindness and tender compassion every man to his brother. And to press not the temporary resident or the poor, and let none of you devise or imagine or think evil against his brother in his heart. But they refused to listen, and turned a rebellious and stubborn shoulder, and made heavy and dull their ears, that they might not hear. Yes, they made their hearts as an adamant stone or a diamond point, lest they should hear the law and the words which the law of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. So this is the word from the 15th of March 2015 about heart transplants. I saw an operating theatre. All the doctors were scrubbed and in the process of beginning the operation. I was in the room and God said to me, This is heart surgery. Please hold this. And in my hands, he placed a heart. And as I held the heart, I felt its tenderness and its fragility and its vulnerability. And I was acutely aware of how precious this heart was. Then I saw a waiting room with people sitting all around. The surgeon was coming in and out with a clipboard and he was asking for consent to operate. Some were signing the consent, but others were afraid of the surgery. Others were doubtful that the surgery would not work. But the surgeon kept coming into the room to ask if they had changed their mind. He didn't pressurize or cajole, but patiently waited and kept coming back to check if they were ready to consent. And I felt God was asking us two things. Do we trust him deeply enough to allow him to do a good work in us and all that goes alongside that? Do we trust him? Do we consent and say yes willingly to allow God to change our hearts? And if so, response is required to sign our names on the consent form and step into the operating theatre. Because God is a God of tenderness and God is a God of compassion. 
And God is a God of faithfulness. He will never, ever do anything that we don't consent. He, it may be, it may not be, um, you know, heart surgery is messy. Mm. And heart surgery takes time to recover from. But it is and does lead to radical transformation. Yeah, amen. Thanks, Deb. Just give us an edge, is that right? Thank you. That was close, Deb's to... I don't know who the first aiders are in the room, but they, they were on edge right then. The Bible says in Revelation, doesn't it, Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And he says, will you let me in? Will you let me in and let me change you and transform you? And I just love that word. It's that there's a consent, there's a, there's a willingness on our part to do the hard work of heart transformation. You see, religious obedience looks hard on the surface. Can I follow X hundred number of rules? But actually, it's the soft option compared to allowing your heart to be malleable and molded by God and radically changed, which leads to life and leads to abundance and leads to joy. And as I've been thinking about this thread through, the, through the, the Sermon on the Mount, this idea of heart transformation versus religious mindset, the gospel beauty versus just mere religious obedience. There were just two questions I just wanted to ask, just to get us thinking, get us um, engaging with this question both personally uh, and for us as a community and for us how we live our lives in the kingdom of God wherever we find ourselves. So I want these questions to, to, to first kind of examine our own hearts, but then it has an outworking of that, about how we live out life. Um, and for me, I want to ask them personally, because I think they're questions that God wants to put on my heart, he wants to challenge me about. And so I hope these are questions that will be edifying and helpful for us as a community as we think about what does it look like to have our hearts changed and not merely be a people that follow rules or just turn up to church on a Sunday because that's the thing that we do, or not read the word of God because that's the thing that we do, or not give of our money because that's the thing that we do, but allow the gospel beauty to change us from the inside out. So just two questions I want to ask us this morning. One is about our relationship to God, and one is about our relationship to one another, and how we interact and how we love. And I want to ask them in the first person, because like I said, I feel like they're questions that I'm wrestling with and living with myself. So the first question is this, what drives my relationship to Christ? What drives my relationship to Christ? You see, when we have a religious mindset, when we haven't understood the beauty of the gospel, our relationship to God is actually driven often out of fear or guilt or shame or a lack of assurance or condemnation. Whereas when we understand the gospel, that Jesus Christ paid the price that we can never pay, died the death that we can never die, and accepts us as we are, and from that place changes us, And it always, if you follow that religious mindset, it always crushes us. You see, when we have a religious mindset, when we sin, particularly if it's habitual sin, things you can't seem to break off, when you sin, if you have a religious mindset, it crushes you. It crushes you because you think, God can't love me. Or when you manage to obey, you go, yes, do you know what, this morning I didn't get angry with my children. You somehow get puffed up and full of pride and go, well, I can do this thing. I can do this religious obedience. Whereas when we understand the gospel and its beauty, we go, do you know what? All of my obedience is driven by a heart that loves Jesus first and foremost. And it causes us to praise and to worship God deep, more deeply. And Deb said this as well. When we have a religious mindset, 
or when we think about the following rules and regulations, we see God more like a, a boss than a tender, compassionate father. When we understand the gospel, we see God as a tender, compassionate, loving father. He's not a boss shouting rules and regulations at us and saying, do this, do that, follow this, follow that. He's a compassionate, loving, tender father father who wants the best of us. And he comes under us and he says, come on, I want to change you. And I want to release you. And I want to bring freedom and life. And it's wonderful. My story is one of understanding over the last 10 years of what does it look like to go from following God out of a sense of rules and obedience to understanding that Jesus loves me. Genuinely, when I was a, I've been a Christian a long time. When I was at university about 15 years ago, I wasn't following God particularly. I, I knew God. I, I went to church. But every time I went to church, I feel guilty about the fact that I've been out the previous night and drunk too much or whatever other areas of my life that were not honoring to God. Every time I'd go, I'd be like, God, you can't forgive me. I'm really sorry, God, by the way. And you know what? The next day, it'd be exactly the same thing would happen over and over again. Because my understanding of God and of his nature was he was like a boss. And I'd let him down. And I'd failed him. And therefore, he couldn't really love me. He couldn't really accept me. But actually, the last 10 years for me have been journeying and understanding the beauty of the gospel to know that Jesus Christ loves me unconditionally, and I am assured of my place in his kingdom. And from that, my obedience is driven. And do you know what? I know right now, I'm not the finished article by any stretch, but I know right now my life is more honoring to God than it was 10 years ago, but not because I feel like I have to follow some rules, but because I understand the gospel more, because I understand Jesus, and I understand the depths to which he went to. And that brings life and freedom and joy into my life. And do you know what? I, am, I know the joy of God now, way more than I did when I went to church out of some religious duty and said, God, I'm sorry, and I felt guilty because I thought he was like a boss, and now I'm beginning to understand him as a father. And I just want to say this morning, if your relationship with God is more like a boss, or it's driven out of fear or guilt, or striving to do something to please God, I want, I want to believe that God will set you free this morning to understand that he loves you because he loves you, and that you're accepted into his kingdom, and from that, obedience is driven. And life comes. God does not say to us, try to live like this and then I will be your father. He says, live like this because I am your father. And that is a massive world of difference. It's a massive world of difference about how you live your life and where your joy comes from and where life comes from. Let me tell you that for sure. There's a great quote from a former elder of this church who started this church, a guy called Andrew Leakey, that says, you don't overcome sin by trying to overcome sin. You learn to love Jesus more. Which I think is a wonderful quote. We don't focus on our sin, we focus on Jesus and his atoning sacrifice for us. And, and we love him. We say, through your, through your Holy Spirit, God, won't you help me to love you more so that I won't want to live a life that does not honour you? There's a massive world of difference. And maybe it's subtle in your heart. Maybe you can't quite work out why is it like this or what's the difference. But actually, do you know when you come to church because you feel like you should or because you sin and you feel guilty or you feel ashamed? Sure, the gospel calls us to a high standard. But if your motivation and your heart is those things, then you haven't understood the gospel truly. And this morning, I believe that God wants to help us understand the beautiful nature of his gospel and the freedom that comes from knowing those things that's what a kingdom people will look like who understand their newfound free identity in him so that's the first question what motivates and drives my relationship to christ 
And the second one is about our relationship to one another. And the question is this, how do I love others? The second greatest commandment that Jesus said is love your neighbor as yourself. And when you read through the gospel narratives, you see the way that followers of Jesus love one another is a key indicator and a key marker for whether people have been changed by the gospel or they're merely following rules and obedience. You see the parable of the Great Samaritan. You see the comparison Jesus makes between the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, where the Pharisee says, thank God I'm not like this man. And the tax collector says, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, this man here who understands his need for me is the one who goes away righteous. And the Pharisee's going, I don't really love that person because he's not like me. He's actually, he's an outcast of society. I don't really love him. And actually, the way we love one another is a key indicator of how our hearts have been transformed and changed by the gospel. That's both within the community of God's people, this family, and at large in Swindon and the nations and the places where we live and work and find ourselves day by day. Jesus said, didn't he, in John chapter 13, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus' evangelism 101 isn't go preach the gospel necessarily. How we love each other in this room helps Swindon at large understand that the message we carry is authentic and real. It's true how we love one another and uphold and champion and bless and serve and honor one another reveals to an unbelieving world the message of Jesus is true. And do you know what? I think in this church family, I think we do know how to love each other. But one of the things I just want to provoke us on, one of the things I feel like God is speaking to me about is it feels sometimes within our family, like those who are most broken and vulnerable find themselves on the edge of us as a community. Whereas Jesus was attracted to those who were broken and vulnerable and hurting and whose society would say, they don't belong. Jesus says, no, they belong in my kingdom. I just want to provoke us a little bit. Are we a community that has boundaries about who is and isn't okay here? And if that's in your heart this morning, I want to pray that God would widen your heart to see the people that Jesus was attracted to includes everybody, especially those in society would go, do you know what? No, no, no. And we as a church family go, no, come in, come in. And I would love, I'd love us to have this different culture amongst us where those who are most hurting and most vulnerable come in and they say, do you know what? I don't find myself on the fringe of this community. I find myself drawn in to this love, this wonderful freeing love of the people of God. And it also applies to how we love at large in our society. You see, the Pharisees were not attracted to the people that Jesus was attracted to because they made it about rules. Jesus made it about hearts. And Jesus was attracted to those outsiders, outcasts, those society would say, no, 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 no. Jesus said, yes, yes, yes to. See, when our hearts are transformed by the gospel, when we see somebody on the street in need, when our neighbor is struggling, when our colleague across the aisle from us is saying, hey, my marriage is struggling right now, we get in there and we rub salt into the situation and we bring, pers- we bring preservation and we bring life and we bring hope into that situation. That's what Jesus did. He sees the need and he goes towards it, whereas the Pharisees run away from it. And they say, no thanks, I don't want that kind of, I don't want that kind of mess. And Jesus says, no, when you understand the gospel and that we were in a mess and that Jesus set us free, 
It says we're going to go towards these situations. And I know this is happening over and over in this community. There are people all over who are going towards brokenness. And maybe it's with your neighbour, maybe it's in the workplace, maybe it's with social action projects in this town. And I love when I hear stories of someone saying, hey, I went into this situation and I brought the hope of Jesus Christ. Just heard one this week from somebody in this room who was saying, I went towards this situation. I brought life into it. That's what a heart transformation does. The Pharisees don't do that. The Pharisees don't do that. When you walk out the doors this morning, we're going to walk into a broken world. And we're going to come across mess. And we're going to come across challenges. And a, a, a test for us is in those moments, do our hearts go towards them? Do our hearts win towards those kind of situations and people who are finding themselves struggling? In whatever way that may be, or do we find we back away and become a bit Pharisaic in our hearts and say, hey, I'm not sure about this. Whereas Jesus says, no, I want you to understand the gospel and get into it, and get into here. I'm just going to land, just going to close right now. I just, I recognise we're out of time. What does it look like to have a heart transformed? Well, one, we look to Jesus, who is the fulfilment of the Sermon on the Mount. He lived it perfectly, and he sets the pattern of life for us. And we know that we're not perfect. We know that we will fall short. But we look to Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we invite his Holy Spirit to come and help us. I will send for you, Jesus said, a helper, a Holy Spirit, who will, te- who will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. The answer isn't striving. The answer isn't guilt-based religion. The answer is surrendering yourself to Jesus and asking his Holy Spirit to come and breathe upon you again afresh and reveal the gospel to you and bring freedom into your life. But I just want to honour um, our children's workers this morning. So what we're going to do, I'd just love us just to stand for just a couple of moments. And um, then if you want prayer this morning, for anything that's been on your heart, please do just come to the front. We'd love to pray for you this morning. Um, perhaps, Jenny, are you happy just to come and just play? Um, and then we'll, in a couple of minutes, we'll just release you to go and get your children if you do have children. But just the question that Deb said, do we consent and say yes willingly to allow God to change our hearts if so, a response is required to sign our names and step into the operating theatre. Can I just ask you just to close your eyes, hold your hands out, whatever, sit before the Lord, kneel before him, whatever you feel comfortable with. Lord, I want to pray that you would release in us a people who have had their hearts changed by the gospel and that we're not merely following religious rules and duties. Lord, but you come right now by your Holy Spirit and would you bring freedom Lord, from guilt and from fear and from shame-based religion, Lord, and bring freedom into gospel transformation and gospel beauty and gospel life in this day. The gospel that says, Jesus has already paved the way, therefore obey, not obey, and then God might accept you. Lord, I want to pray this morning for us in this room that we may indeed understand our relationship to you, Lord, is because you've already done it and you've already paid the price. And we get to walk into that. I pray you'd help us to understand our love for one another and our love for this town. Lord, is an overflow of gospel-transformed people, not merely people following rules and regulations. Lord, I pray you would help us to walk today into the beauty of the gospel, knowing that it brings life and joy and freedom and freedom to worship you 
and freedom to read your word and not just feel beat up or ashamed and freedom to come here on a Sunday, not because we have to, but because we are hungry to gather with the people of God. Lord, I want to pray for every brother and sister here this morning, whether they know you or not, whether they walked with you a long time or not, very short amount of time, I want to pray, come Holy Spirit, breathe upon us in the name of Jesus.